How would you complete this sentence? When I am blank, then I am strong. And by strong here I mean you know, I've got power, I've got influence, I've got security, I feel self-confident, I feel strong. Take half a minute to reflect on your, on your own. When I am, then I am strong. Now, I'm sure there's lots of different answers that you could give to that um, statement. Maybe you'd say, you know, when I'm fit and healthy, then I'm strong. Or when my mental health is good. Or when I'm in control, when I'm on you know, top of life, then I feel strong. Or when I'm successful, you know, my studies are going well, or my job uses my skills and passions. Or when I'm with a particular group, maybe it's with you know, my friends are in that network, or I'm not at the bottom, that there are people below me, like year sevens, or first years, or employees. Or perhaps it's you know, when I have money, or a house, or a partner, then I'm strong. Maybe you would answer, when I'm winning FIFA 23, or posting on social media, then I'm strong. Now many of those things are good things and they're gifts from God. But if we asked the Apostle Paul, a, a key leader in the early church, he would give us a radically different answer. We're going to hear what he wrote in a moment. Paul wrote it in a letter to the church in Corinth because some leaders, people called super apostles, were deceiving the church and drawing them away from Christ. And their brand of Christianity was shaped more by Corinth and less by Jesus Christ. They promoted a message and they presented an image of power and strength and influence and confidence. And Paul says, okay, you want to talk about those things? I will. I don't want to talk about myself, but I will. Like them, I'll boast, but the strength and power that I'll boast about will be very different to theirs. It will be God's power. He'll, he's given it to me, and he can give it to you too, but in a way that you may not expect or want. So, Grab hold of your Bible, it will be in the seat in front of you, or at the end of the row. And our reading is 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me, just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. 
I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burden? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. We're going to carry on reading from chapter 12. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me that is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm, I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let me read verse 9 again. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul wants us to boast in your weaknesses. Now, what could Paul have boasted about? Well, he could have boasted about the crowds that he preached to, or the famous cities that he visited, Jerusalem, Athens, Corinth, or his skill as a strategist, his abilities to build teams and to manage people, his theological output. His was one of the greatest minds of his day. It's not a bad list, and, and Paul could have added to it and would have trumped anything which the super apostles could have thrown at him. But instead, he catalogues an extraordinary list of hardships and sufferings. Just look at them on the screen. You know, there are four mentions of general suffering. There are five different physical trials that he endured. Eight dangers. Five different things he went without or denied himself. Then there was the anxiety that he felt for the churches and the daily pressure that he was under. And he sums them up in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then he shares a short story in verses 32 and 33. He went to Damascus with power and authority. He was going to destroy the church. And then the risen Christ encountered him and turned his life upside down. And how did he begin his ministry? Standing up to the king and proclaiming the good news with great power and strength. No, he ran away, shamefully, lowered down in a basket. The Greeks gave their highest military award to the soldier who was first up the wall against the enemy. I think it's fair to say Paul wouldn't even have made the shortlist. Now what are we to make of all of this? Well, in British culture today, we, we talk much more openly about our weaknesses than we used to, and that's a good thing. You know, celebrities speak about their struggles, perhaps their mental health struggles, our family difficulties. Perhaps you're here and you're from another culture and, and your culture opens up more or less. But sometimes when people speak about their weaknesses, they talk about themselves as victims. You know, this or that was done to them. They suffered this injustice. And sometimes they can turn that into a power, giving themselves authority. But that's not what Paul's doing here. He's not speaking as a victim. Or sometimes we turn our weaknesses into strengths. You know, we're exhausted from overworking. But we turn it around and say, well, that's because we really care about people. Paul doesn't do that either. He didn't experience all these hardships because he had a sense of adventure or because he wanted to impress people. Paul boasts in his weaknesses because he's a servant of Jesus, verse 23. Jesus had told his disciples, you will have trouble in this world. He told Paul how much he would suffer for him. And Jesus himself was the suffering servant. 
Throughout his life, he experienced one hardship after another. And then he died on a cross in weakness, shame, and humiliation. He's the Jesus of the scars. And his followers bear his scars too. Paul's weaknesses qualify him as a true Christian leader, showing us the true Christ. And for us, Paul's suffering isn't required of everyone. They were constant throughout his life and they were extreme. And I suspect that not many of us here would like to be shipwrecked. But they show his weaknesses. He couldn't cope. He wasn't in control. He didn't have all the answers. And when we suffer because we belong to Jesus, it's painful. It's hard. And when we suffer because we live in a broken world, as sinful people with other sinful people, it's painful. It will show us our weaknesses. Do we admit them? Or do we hide them? Too often we feel weak and we suffer. And we feel something's wrong. Like life isn't supposed to be like this. If this is painful, I don't want it. Life is hard. I'm hurting. How can I make it go away? We want our lives to be comfortable and straightforward and happy. And when they're not, we're angry or depressed or stressed. And we look around and everyone else seems sorted. And they're managing life. And they're strong. We play along. We don't want to appear weak, especially not for Jesus, especially in Oxford. When Paul gets out his phone and he shows you his photos or his Instagram feed and he tells you his story, he speaks of his weaknesses. And when you tell your story, do you boast of your successes, your achievements and your connections, or of your struggles, your sufferings, your weaknesses? When you speak about St. Ebbs, do you boast of our successes, our achievements, our connections? or of our struggles, our sufferings, our weaknesses. You know, if you've joined us tonight, or you've joined recently, like we praise God for the, the different small groups that were mentioned, for the resources that he's given us, harvest offering coming up, the genuine love that exists within this church family. But we're not strong people. We're struggling to varying degrees. Members here are going through hard times for Jesus. We're small compared to our city and to the wider Church of England. We're weak. Paul says, boast in your weakness. 
But why, Paul? Why? Well, look again at verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There is power in your weakness. Paul goes on boasting, chapter 12, verse 1, but this time it's about a powerful spiritual experience that he had, a vision from the Lord. He was in the third heaven, which is the very presence of God, and it was paradise, and he heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, the super apostles have boasted of those kind of experiences. The Corinthians valued them, just as many people do today. And at last, Paul has shown that he is a powerful, strong leader. This is his winning card. And yet, it's a strange way Paul tells the story. Like, he's clearly speaking of himself, but he calls himself a man in Christ. And he doesn't go into many details. And it all happened 14 years ago. Like, why is he only talking about it now? Like, if this had been me... I'd have set up a YouTube channel, I'd have written a book, and you would have heard about it every week in a sermon. Have I told you about the time? I would have set up Third Heaven Ministries International. (laughs) But Paul doesn't. Like if he had, he would be no different to his opponents. But he is. He's the servant apostle not the super one. Verse 6, But I refrain, so that no one will think more of me than is warranted. But then he shares the real reason for this story. Verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Maybe you've had a splinter in your finger, or you put your hand on a drawing pin. That could be sore, it could be irritating. But a thick thorn, or a nail in your foot, like that's really painful. And this thorn tormented him. And tormented there means being hit with a fist. Like this thorn was like a punch in the stomach. Or like a pounding headache for 14 years. It was painful, very painful. But it had a purpose. God gave it to Paul. Though mysteriously, Satan used it to torment Paul. But God gave it to stop Paul's pride, to prevent him swelling up with his access into heaven. They're becoming inflated with how important or powerful he was. God used this thorn to puncture his pride. God wasn't being vindictive or cruel. He loved Paul, but he wanted him to grow in holiness, in humility, in dependence on him, and so he gave him this thorn. But Paul refused the gift. Like Paul thought that there were only two options. There was 
life with the thorn, which was awful, or there was life without the thorn, which was good. And so he prays. Three times he pleads with God to remove it, and God says, no. There's a third way to live. There's a better way to live. Verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Being perfect means to bring something to its goal or destination. And God says, I have a purpose in all of this. I have a plan. Paul, I want you to depend on me. The weaker you are, the stronger God is shown to be. It'll be clear to you and to others that it's God's power flowing through you, not your own. That God's grace is sufficient. He gives the right grace for our weaknesses. He gives the right amount of grace at just the right time. And this grace never runs out. It's not a fixed amount. Use it up and you're on your own. This is unlimited. Because Jesus' power, Jesus' grace is himself. He says, whatever your weakness, whatever your thorn, I'm sufficient for you. We experience God's grace and power, yes, in heavenly experiences, but even more in the dark days of despair, when we feel alone, with no one there, with no one who understands. We experience his power and grace when he removes our struggles, when he pulls out those thorns, when he says yes to our pleas, but even more, when he doesn't teleport us out of our troubles, he knows our pain and weaknesses, but he pours his power and grace into our lives to sustain us and to strengthen us and to keep us. He gives us the very best. He gives us himself. The saviour who wore a crown of thorns in order to bear the curse for us so that his grace and power can flow into our lives. Paul doesn't tell us about what his thorn was. It might have been a physical illness. It might have been a psychological condition. It could be opponents, his enemies. We don't know. It was in his flesh, so it dug deep into his life. But the fact that it's unknown, I think in a sense, helps us because whatever it was for Paul, whatever it might be for you and me, Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness, in your struggles, in your suffering, with your brokenness. Go to Jesus. He will give you grace, more grace sufficient grace. These verses are, they're a comfort to us. They're a challenge to us. I find verse 9 really challenging. So I reflected on it this week. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, 
delight. I'm encouraged because it took Paul 14 years to write that and three pleas with God before he learned to delight in weaknesses of how gracious and powerful and sufficient our Savior really is, that our lives are lived for his sake, not ours. So wherever we are on our Christian journey, may God grant us the grace to say with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. As we've reflected on these verses, Paul has told us a little bit of his story. But I know that in this congregation, there are other people, many of us perhaps, who could share some of our stories of God's power in our weakness. And so one of those people is Keith Proctor and um, Jill's wife and family have been members of St. Ebbs for, for quite some time. And they have gone through an extremely difficult time over these past year, year and a half, as Keith has been receiving treatment for cancer. Um, and I'm going to invite him up so that he can share, I'll ask him a few questions, and he can share a little bit of God's grace in his weakness to help us, to encourage us, to keep living for the Lord. Hiya, so Keith, Keith Proctor, wife, Jill upstairs, Jen's upstairs. I've got two daughters. Sarah's uh, married, living in Brackley. Jen's in London, uh, but here tonight. Um, being here in Oxford, loads of a long time. Um, so being in 6.30, being in the city congregation, being in the Morgan congregation, so we defect to wherever coffee and for tea is best. Well, that's originally the professionals we can't do justice to kind of the richness of, of the story and the God's grace to you. But before you had cancer, how would you have answered, how would you have completed that statement? When I am, so I'm, a, I'm an active guy, I love my sport, I'm a married man with two kids, uh, I love my job. So when I am active, when I am um, being a good husband, being there for my kids, when I am um, really going after things at work, when I'm out working my vocation before God, that's when I'm strong. How did God show you your weakness? It's a year and a half journey, so to say that in one, one answer is, uh, is too hard. So let me just, so where are we now? We're in September, aren't we? So say last September, so I was diagnosed in March, started treatment in April, had a load of treatment, chemo, radiotherapy, um, relapsed, or the cancer came back quite aggressively. Um, so I knew it would come back, so doctors, consultants, brilliant, nurses, brilliant, um, get to there on the Tuesday uh, and expect the news, so Jill and I are in there. So cancer's come back, it's come back really aggressively. Uh, gonna give you some more chemo, it's not going to work, uh, but we need to get through the chemo because I think there's a better chance of cure 
for the next thing, if we can get you approved, because it's not approved yet. It's not like a normal treatment in the NHS. So, so that's the Tuesday. Um, I recognise at that stage that actually it's quite serious. Um, and there's a reasonable chance I'm not going to make it. So I have to hand over work. I've got to kind of hand over work. So, But before I do that, I've got to go back in on the Wednesday and um, I've got to sign all the declarations. They're going to pop me on a trial drug just to, for, the, for the kicks type of thing, just to give something else a go. Thursday, Friday, I hand over work, completely 23 years worth of work. I hand over in two days. Friday night with the family. Saturday, Sunday with the family. Monday, chemo. So just jump into there, right there that week. So, weakness. I'm sick. I feel sick. I'm ill. Um, am I going to get better? Not sure. Is this as good as it's going to get? Possibly. Um, I'm never going to feel well again, really, ever, potentially. Um, with my family, that was the most emotional part, the hardest part. Um, I'm not gonna, I may not be there soon. So when you see, when your love for your family, or when you see your family's love for you, and you see the pain in their eyes, that's hard. Um, I can't fix that. Are you going to get better? I don't know. I can't say I am. Work. Um, I love my work. I really believe in why it matters. Um, I've been there for 23 years. I've been involved with it for 30 years. I love it. My kids have been through it. Jules works with it. It's great. I might never go back to work. Ever. Um, so personally, from a family perspective, from a work perspective, no control. No control. Tomorrow's well above my pay grade. Well above all of our pay grades. That's all. But, but it really feels if it's above my pay grade. Um, so weakness, oh yeah, too right. And Keith, how did you, how did God's grace and power prove sufficient for you at that, at that time? Again, really hard to distill down. Um, God's word was rich, Psalm 90, precious, um, Psalm 86. I could, I could rattle off the songs, I can rattle off the verses, I can rattle off the, the passages. Well, how did God's grace prove sufficient through his people, through a brilliant wife, wonderful kids, um, great friends, wonderful church family, all those that prayed Sunday by Sunday from the front, privately, um, those that helped do the text that I could watch because I was one of those guys that you pray for every single Sunday, all those with long-term illness, that was me, um, that could help me to join in and feel part of church family. That was how God, God's grace has worked out. Very early on in the journey where um, God is very kind in the gift of faith to ground me in the gospel again. Um, there's a great verse in Matthew 13, 44, I think it is, where there's a guy who finds treasure. He goes, oh, he finds his treasure. Then he goes away, sells everything he has, and then he goes and buys the field with joy. I had cancer. I was that guy who just found the treasure again. <laughs> I have the gospel. The gospel is true. Jesus is for me. I have a certain hope of heaven. 
absolutely class. I was a guy who found that treasure. So he very kindly grounded me in the gospel from day one, which is wonderful. But then if you take me back to the autumn again, um, and those days where you really are starting to prepare for, okay, you know, there's hope. Never lost hope. But let's play the numbers. It's not looking good. Um, And there's a great... There's a um, the, the the poem you know the gate of the year poem, and uh, you know and it says like when you go into the darkness, put your hand put your hand in the hand of God. That's safer. I'd say it's better than light and safer than a known way. So every single day, Jill and I will put our hand in God's hands, and every single day His hand is right there. So through how is grace sufficient through His people. Um, through the wonder of the gospel, through um, put my hand in his hand, minute by minute sometimes, hour by hour, day by day, and seeing his hand right there all the time. Um, that was wonderful, for his grace was sufficient. Thank you, Keith. How would you, answer, how would you complete that statement now? When I am, then I am strong. When my hand's in God's hand, day by day, then I'm strong. When when my first instinct is to turn to God in prayer and praise and dependence on him, that's, that's when I'm strong. I depend on him, he doesn't depend on me. That's when I'm strong. Keith, thank you so much for sharing with us this evening. And God's grace and power that was sufficient for Keith, was sufficient for the Apostle Paul, It is sufficient for every single one of us tonight. So let's take a moment and come to the Lord in all of our weaknesses, brokenness, and let's pray, Lord, give me your grace, give me your strength, give me your power. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Loving Lord Jesus, thank you that your grace is sufficient. That whatever our weakness, the despair, the suffering, the struggles that we are going through, and Lord, you knew each one. You knew Paul's. Keith, Jill's, their family, each one of us tonight. Thank you that your grace is sufficient, that your power can rest on us. So I pray, Lord, that as we go out into this week, we would not go in our own strength, but that we would lean on you, we would depend on you, we would put our hand in your hand. Please help us to do that day by day for your glory for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.